Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. So as I mentioned, we've been doing this series called Equipping the Saints, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And let's just start out with reading that passage that's been our, our core passage for this series. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed by... Uh, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love." And so we've been talking about some different things, what it means to be a saint, you know, looking at what our identity is as ones who are in Christ, who are, are born again. We talked about part of the, the thing that comes with being born again, being born of the Spirit, is that we have authority the authority that was given to Jesus, he, he actually gives to us. And then last week, Pastor Jana talked about some different aspects of maturity and how we can grow up in, in, in maturity, which is really what this passage is, is talking about. And, and today I want to highlight uh, maturity a little bit more. And I was thinking about maturity, and I remember the scripture in Hebrews Uh, 5, starting in verse 11. About this, we have much to say. I think we'll get it up on the screen there in a second. And it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And the passage goes on in chapter 6, and it actually talks about, you know, let us leave, leave the elementary or the foundational teachings of Christ. And then it goes on to list these five or six different elementary teachings. And maybe sometime we'll, we'll study those in more detail, but the point is, is, is that he wants us to be mature. He wants us to be able to be teachers of the word, all of us. And, and what it highlights in, in verse 14, it, the mature is those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The powers of discernment is also translated as senses in, in some translations. And, and I was looking at it, and the Greek word used there is actually only used one time in the New Testament. And I believe that, that our senses is not only talking about our, our five senses or our mind, the things that we can perceive externally, it's actually talking about our spiritual senses. 
and you all have spiritual senses, whether or not you know it. (laughs) If you're in Christ, if you've been born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, and and the Holy Spirit becomes this connection point to God. He is our communication line to the Father, but he's also the connection to what I like to call this, the spiritual realm, for lack of a, a better word. Some other people might call it the, the second heaven and all these different things, but, but basically the, the place where, where God's spirit dwells and, and other spirits dwell, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But most of you have probably had experiences like this where you've, you've walked into some store or restaurant or place and you get this kind of weird or sick feeling to your stomach or you get uncomfortable and and you feel like okay I need to leave this place or or sometimes you're you're driving in your car you're on your way to work and all of a sudden there's just something that says you know I'm going to take a different route to work today and maybe you even found out later that um, you know there was an accident or, or something like that or maybe you went through a, a job interview and everything looked awesome with the job and it was a great offer and all those things, but there was something inside of you that said that it just it wasn't at peace and you're like, no, I don't think this is right, even though everything about it seems right. And some people might call those things intuition, but I believe it's actually our spiritual senses at work. And they not only help give us direction, like where we should go and what, what we should do, they also, it also helps us to distinguish good from evil. In verse 14, it equates maturity to having awakened spiritual senses. And to awaken and understand our spiritual senses, I think first we need to realize the reality of the spiritual realm. And if you look around in, in culture, there's this fascination that people have with, with the unseen. There's, and I don't watch it, but there's all kinds of TV shows about the paranormal and, and ghosts and spirits, and, and there's the New Age movement, all of which is, is a counterfeit to the real. And, and sometimes I think in our culture, you know, there's this kind of fringe fascination with those sort of things. But because of the enlightenment that happened in the 1700s and in Europe and, and, and this, this fascination and this learning of science and all those things, it, it not only caused us to, to, to place distance between God and man, kind of like put God as, as this bystander that doesn't interfere with the, with the um, affairs of man because, you know, science rules everything now. It also, um, it also caused us to kind of like lose this connection to, to the spiritual realm or the unseen. But I can tell you, if you were in a third world country right now, you would have no problem believing all of those things. You know, in, in a lot of different countries, there's, there's witch doctors and there's, you know, voodoo people, all, all these different things. And, and people in those cultures are, are, are so aware of what's going on and probably have experienced it in some way or another. Or even in like, you know, uh, historical biblical times, the nations surrounding Israel, like that was what was so different about Israel is they had the one true God. 
But all these other cultures had these gods of gods of the harvest, gods of the trees, gods of the waters, gods of all these things. And, and, and those weren't gods, but they were these, these evil influences, evil spirits that were present in everything. And, and, and people had an awareness of that. It was like normal part of their culture. I've, I've heard these stories of, of people doing great revivals, you know, large tent revivals in these uh, other countries. And, and they have, you know, it's like witch doctors and all these people will come to their meetings and try to like cast curses on them and all these different things. And we were, uh, and, and those, these people find themselves in, in bondage and, and need to be free. Last fall, we were studying deliverance in, in the D school. And it's really interesting. His, he, this, this was a man that was in uh, South America, and he was known for setting the captives free, seeing people that were bound by evil spirits, like getting them freedom in a large mass uh, numbers. And, and his perspective was that, that the United States was one of the most demonized cultures um, in the world, but it's just hidden under the surface. Um, and, and it's because we don't, we don't, sometimes we don't realize what's going on in the unseen realm around us. And the point is that I, I'm trying to make here that we are in the midst of a war, whether we realize it or not. Ephesians 6 talks about it. In Ephesians 6, 10, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For do, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may able, be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul is telling us that there's this very real struggle going on in the unseen realm. And, uh, and often our response is we want to attack or demonize people when there's actually like an, an evil force behind their actions. And this passage is where we get this terminology of spiritual warfare, which is what we're talking about today. And, and the language in that chapter produces these images of war, especially when you, when you read on further and, and Paul is describing the armor of God. And if I was like Pastor Jana, I'd say your homework is to, to go read the rest of chapter six and, and study the armor of God. We don't have time to, to do that today. But, but there, there's keys, I think, in, the, in that passage in, in spiritual warfare. But the reality is, is that there's an enemy of our souls whom the, the Bible calls the, the accuser of the brethren or, or the devil or, or Satan. And it's kind of interesting. We kind of, this is a side note, but, but we, we like to um, make Satan a proper noun, you know, but in the Hebrew, it's always, it's, it's not, it's actually the Satan, the adversary, Many biblical scholars believe he was a high-ranking angel named Lucifer based on Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. And in Revelation 12, we have this, like John is having this vision of what's happened, what happened when Jesus came on the earth. He, it's like he had this parallel vision of what, was, what happened in the heavens. And in verse 9, it talks about the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. 
and deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And that's where we get this, this concept of, of, of Satan and, and the demonic, these, these fallen angels. And, and Satan, when, when he deceived Adam and Eve and they were disobedient, he, he gained authority um, because of that. But when Jesus came, he actually took that authority. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And, but until the fullness of time, you know, it talks about in Daniel 7, like, like the beast being thrown down uh, to the earth. And until the fullness of time, he, he's here and he can still affect things. But I've heard one teacher say, we were studying it in D school, that as part of his punishment to actually be thrown down to earth where the, the authority that he desired for himself was given to millions of believers created in the image of God. Amen. So my first introduction to this concept of spiritual warfare we're talking about, besides reading, you know, like Ephesians 6 and some other chapters, was, was a book. And probably some of you remember this book. It was called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. And I remember reading it and like being freaked out. <laughs> and it like talk, you know, having to talk to my pastor about it and, and stuff like that. And I, I don't, you know, I don't think the theology conveyed in that book was perfect, but it did serve to like open up my eyes to, to something I was just completely too oblivious to. And I think that's the problem that sometimes a, a trap that we fall into in Christianity today is that we, it's like we have these two extremes that either there's like a demon behind everything or nothing. And, and I, I believe the, the, real, the reality is somewhere in between. And, and we need to have like a, a balance before how we approach this topic of spiritual warfare. You know, we're like we... I think the, the church at large in America is, is oblivious to the idea that an evil spirit can influence a person, a group of people, or even uh, a region. And if you've never you know, thought about this idea of spiritual warfare, you know, I can think of examples or times in my own life where you, know, you, you, you have a day or you have a week where it's just like everything goes wrong, right? You, you get sick, and then your car breaks down, and then you get a large unexpected bill in the mail, and, and, and all these things seem to pile up at once, and whenever something like that happens, I, I kind of check, and I'm like, this is too many things to be happening at once to be like just normal. Like, I believe in those moments we're experiencing spiritual warfare, and, and often it's either preceding or, or happening after some, some breakthrough that happens um, in, our, in our Christian life. And that, that spiritual warfare may be on like a, a low level. But I've also heard stories of people having much more uh, intense encounters. You know, I was actually reading... Um, some stories from Chris Vallotton and he, he talks about like actually seeing demonic things with his eyes and like actually affecting physical things in his house, like pictures falling off the walls and all these things. And thankfully I've never experienced anything like that, but it's, it's real. And you've probably heard stories of, of similar or, or people who have been influenced by evil spirits and like weird things happen to them. Right. 
Um, but for me personally, the, where I experience spiritual warfare most is in my dreams. And they're not nightmares, but I, I wake up and it's just like something is, is coming against me in a dream or, or other times I actually get the opposite, like uh, strategies for what the enemy is doing and, and it's for me to, to go after in prayer. No matter how you might experience spiritual warfare, which you will as a Christian, the one thing I don't want you to take from this message is that we need to fear. <laughs> Jesus has overcome. The war has already been won. And, and we can get trapped in this, in this fear of, of, of the power of the enemy. And I'll talk about it in a second. But, but when we fear him, it, it actually feeds him. But the enemy has, has been defeated. The enemy is defeated, and we need, to, we need to get that in our mindset, in our being, and we need to not fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, and we have perfect love living inside of us. So I want to give you some, some keys. I'm actually doing a point message. I haven't done this for a while. But <laughs> we're, we're going to do a point message, some few, a few basics, well, more than a few, some basics of spiritual warfare. Number one, I was just talking about the battle has already been won. God is far more powerful than the enemy. God is the creator of all things, and he has given his son all power and all authority. We talked about it two weeks, two weeks ago. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and then he gives to us. And I think sometimes we can fall into this trap of having more faith in the enemy's ability to, to affect and harm us than we do to, to God's ability to heal us and set us free. Like, like it's, it's weird, like, the, I've heard it said before, I think I've, I've said it here too, is like the currency of, of heaven is faith. Like what, what causes God to move in situations is like, is an agreement of what he can do. And it's this, 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 this hope of what's unseen, right? That's what faith is. But I think that faith can work in a negative way too. When we have more faith in the enemy, <laughs> if we have faith in the enemy, it gives him an inroads into our life to do something. But we need to have faith in the Lord and what he can do. He has the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first one. The battle has already been, been won. The second one is just simple. It's close the doors. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 tells us to abstain from every form of evil. Amen. Abstain from every form of evil. And the, you guys can probably think of your own forms of evil, but there, there's all this, all this stuff happening in our culture. I mentioned earlier, there's new age practices, there's witchcraft, there's occult, 
flee from those things. Stay away. But even milder forms of entertainment, like those TV shows or books or video games that, that kind of glorify those things, and they might seem harmless. And I'm not tell, I don't want to be religious. You guys know what you can do and what you can't handle and what you can handle. But, but those things, I believe, can, can open the door to the enemy. So shut the doors. Close the doors. Number three, cultivate discernment and the gift of discernment. So discernment, like we we talked about in Hebrews, allows us to understand when evil forces are behind something. Uh, And and that that passage in Hebrews tells us that discernment can actually be gained through experience or be gained through practice. But we can also receive the gift of discernment, one of the gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12. And, And we need discernment to know What's happening in a situation? Is is this a does this have an ev- is there an in- evil influence behind this, or is this just something that happened, or is it actually good and it looks bad in 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 a situation? And it helps us to know how to pray. An example might be when you're you're praying for someone for healing. A gifted discernment might tell you that no, this this physical ailment that they're dealing with actually has, you know, there's some sort of uh, spiritual influence behind it. And so taking care of that can actually open, open the way for them to be healed physically. That's what discernment does in, in that situation. But, but it, it allows also just, I, I really think that it, it gives us the keys for how we're to pray into a situation. Number four is use the authority given to you. We talked about authority again a couple of weeks ago. This is more of an observation or something I've learned through practice in my own life. But where you have been given natural authority, you've actually been given spiritual authority. And for many of you, that means your, your place of greatest authority is in your own home. And you need to take authority in your home. You need, to, you need to go to war over your household. You need to, to pray over your home. It is, it's not only like the people, it's your family, but it's also the, the physical house and land that you've been given is yours from the Lord, and you have authority over it. And so plead the blood of Jesus over your home and over your land, if you have land, and over the things, that uh, the place you live, the things you own. You have authority. For some of you, you've been given authority in your workplace. You know, you're a, a manager or, or a leader or whatever. I believe that that authority was given to you from the Lord, and you actually have a spiritual authority that, that aligns with your natural authority. So pray over your um, department. Pray over your team. Pray over where you do business because you have authority there. If you're a teacher, pray over your classroom. You've been given authority for that that time that you're in that classroom. <laughs> Jesus is with you. He's inside of you. And, and, and the enemy has no business there because of who's inside of you. Once again, if you, you're experiencing difficulty in your business or if you're, you're a small business owner, pray over your, your business. Pray over your, de- your department. 
the Lord will break through. Number five, don't pick fights. Jesus said that he only did what he saw his father doing. And there's a very real problem with just going into random places or or regions or cities and starting to pray against whatever evil spirits might be active there. I read this book a long time ago that impacted me called Needless Casualties of War by John Paul Jackson. And if you're the intercessor type, I would recommend that you read it. You can actually receive backlash if you're fighting battles that Jesus hasn't asked you to. And my, my own personal belief is that on a corporate level, the best way to defeat the enemy is to, to worship like we were doing this morning and to create a dwelling place for the presence of God. Because as Mike was sharing a little bit ago, darkness can't exist where there is light. Do I believe that intercessors are, are sometimes called to pray or do things to disarm the enemy? Yeah, I think so, but I would just be so careful. I would be so careful when, when doing that. But I want to look at what I think the Lord has called us to do. What, the way that he has called us to engage in spiritual warfare, which leads me to point six, is Jesus is our model. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. He came to earth that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in Luke 4, this was Jesus talking in verses 18 and 19. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So how did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? He, he saved people, he healed the sick, and he delivered those who were oppressed. I haven't done my own research on this, but I read that there's 55 different mentions of the New Testament of Jesus doing what we call deliverance, setting people free from evil influence, though we only get you know, all the details a handful of times. I also thought it was interesting in the Old Testament, you know, if, if you look back, there's the prophets doing all kinds of amazing signs of wonders and miracles, but that I can think of, there aren't any, any references to actually breaking the power of the enemy in, in like a deliverance situation. There's only, you know, I was thinking about the temporary relief that, that Saul got when there was a afflicting spirit over him and, and David played his instrument and it, it left him for a time, but he never got freedom from that. But, but when Jesus came, and it, it's a sign of when he, when he came, you know, what did he preach? The kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God was established with, with Jesus coming, it, it, it came with the side effect that the kingdom of darkness was being destroyed, right? The kingdom of darkness was being destro- destroyed. And, and, and one of the, you know, there's, there's several different miracles that were happening right when Jesus kind of launched in his ministry. But one of the first things he did was, was set free uh, someone who is demon-possessed. And you remember, like, the, the um, Pharisees were questioning him and talking about, you know, how, 
like even the, the demons listen to him. And is it by, you know, the prince of demons that he drives out demons? But, but Jesus was saying, no, like a house divided against itself is going to fall, right? This is, this is not what I'm doing. I've been given authority over evil. I've been given authority over evil. Jesus came and he preached the kingdom of God and every salvation, every healing, and every deliverance demonstrates the superiority of his kingdom. So Jesus's method, Chris, if you want to come up, Jesus's method of spiritual warfare was saving those who need to be saved. It was delivering those who were oppressed of the devil. It was healing those who needed healing. That was his act of spiritual warfare. And I believe that his, the way that he is actually asking us to engage in spiritual warfare is to do the same. Jesus in his great love, it's, you know, so often we get the, this concept of spiritual warfare and it's about all these, you know, big, big things happening in, in the unseen realm and all these things. But Jesus cares about individuals Amen. and Jesus wants them free. He wants them saved and he wants them healed. And when we get his heart, all, his motivation, you know, not only was the kingdom being displayed and expanded when he was doing those things, not only was the power uh, of, of darkness being destroyed, he was demonstrating love. He was demonstrating the gospel. And when we get his heart of love, that becomes our motivation. Love becomes the weapon of our warfare. Love is the weapon of our warfare. And I believe that Jesus, in his great love for people, has to be our model for spiritual warfare. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand up? There's a couple different things I want to pray over corporately. Um, then we have some words of knowledge as well. I'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So just turn, turn your, your gaze upon him right now. Just engage in the spirit. And I would just even ask if you, if you have a, a prayer language, uh, speaking in tongues that you do it right now, just engage in the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in this place and move in us. Move in us. Move in us. 
right now I just want to pray corporately uh, just for repentance. When I was talking about closing the doors and, and maybe, maybe some of you have been involved in some of those things. And I want to just pray a, a corporate prayer of repentance first. So Father, forgive us if we've opened doors into our lives to, to the evil influences of this world, God. And right now we just repent. In Jesus' name, we repent. And every door that was opened by watching those shows, by going in those stores, by, by whatever, God, we just close them right now in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for those who have, have experienced oppression because of that, that you break the power of the enemy over their lives right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray that they would be washed by the water of your word, that your Holy Spirit would flow in them right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I speak to fear. I speak to fear and say that it must go in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. As I was preparing this message, I, f I felt like there might be somebody that's, that's dealing with nightmares or night terrors even. And God wants to set you free right now. Even that you'd have nightmares of your own death. And, and Father, I ask right now that you, that you break the power of the enemy and for those experiencing nightmares or night terrors, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask that you fill them with your spirit. God, I pray for peace in the night. God, I pray Psalm 91 over them that they would be hidden in the shadow of your wings, even as they're sleeping, God. And Lord, I pray that any fear that has uh, taken hold in their life because of dreams, Father, that it would be gone. Come with your love. Come with your love. Come with your love, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.